0: We're going to continue in our study of the doctor's gospel. Uh, I've entitled the message this morning, The Most Important Question in in All the World. The most important question in all the world. You know, life is filled with questions. Have you noticed that? You don't have to have studied Socrates to know his whole method of uh, asking questions. Uh, to realize that the longer we live and the longer I live, the more questions I seem to have about life and the world. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we <clears throat> when we're absolutely befuddled by what God is doing in the world, in our lives, in our family, our neighborhood, in our church, you go like, man, I'd like to ask the Lord that question. I'd like to ask the Lord that question. You know, Job did that once. And then finally, when he got the chance, he goes like, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to ask any questions, you know. (laughs) You're God, and I'm certainly not. But uh, I do wonder on some things, you know, as we simply, and not in a rebellious way, but we think about God's governance and His sovereign providence and why He would uh, uh, allow certain things to take place. Oftentimes, they revolve around the deep hurts, that uh, you and I have, and the pain, and the loss, and disappointments. Oftentimes, it's at those that we go like, wow, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. A lot of times, it's our broken heart that expresses that. Why would you allow that? You could have stopped that, Uh, and we say that. There's no question that life is filled with questions, and it starts early, does it not? As we spend many years in school, right? Your teachers and mine... I used to, uh, some of them quit teaching after they had me, Miss Woodward, I'm sorry to say, seventh grade English, my stupid question, why do we have to study English, we already speak it? (laughs) Terry put gum on your nose again, you know, that poor lady, first year teaching, and then she quit after that. I often thought, like, I hope that wasn't all all my fault. There was John Zellner and a few others of us in class, (laughs) funny how you remember that, you know? But the, our teachers, right? You're going to have an exam. What's that mean? You're going to have questions. And I've been an instructor, professor, and, and uh, used to get, love giving Blue Book. Anybody know what a Blue Book exam is? All right, some of you do. Yeah, bring, it to, bring two or three of them. Write every, there'll be a few ex- essay questions. Tell me everything you know. <laughs> And I know what snow is. I'm from Buffalo, so don't try and hoodwink me. You know, this kind of thing. <laughs> you know all these questions that uh, that we have in school. You know, I I love that story about John F. Kennedy. You know, I when he he studied former President John F. Kennedy. He studied at Harvard, and I maybe have told you this before. I I read it, and it, I think it's reliable. He took a class in philosophy. Some of you have done that. You're like, what was that all about? You know. and anyway, his final exam in his philosophy class at Harvard, nonetheless. Here's the exam question. Uh, Why? Why? There you go. You got your blue book. You're ready to go, right? Why? You know, maybe dealing with the phusis or the what is or these high and lofty Greek philosophical. He answered, and this this is, he answered, why not? And he got an A, and I heard that, I said, you should have went down to the business, I got a refund for that class. I mean, if that's, <laughs> there, there's a question. Well, have you experienced, have you had the experience where you were working through an exam question? Let's say math, because that's the easiest, right? Most of us are sort of fuzzy and in the fog when we like look at a algebraic question or something in geometry or something in trig, you know, the cosine, cosine and tangent. You're kind of working with your angles and some of you uh, beyond that upper levels of mathematics, you go like, holy cow, what's the answer to that question? And some of you, like when you did adding and subtracting, let's go back, man, that's easier to do. You're like, I, I got my numbers down. That was a real big thing. I got my numbers, yeah, I know my fractions, you know, this kind of thing. Next year, we go to long division. <gasps> still straight, you know, like, oh, no, this is going to be like major deal, and They draw the line over it, and there you go, like, and you're like, oh, what a four, you know, divided by, you know, two, and you're like, oh, what, and and even more complicated math, and you're sort of in the dark, and then finally, when you work through it, you get that aha moment. You know that aha? Aha. I sit, and it's like the light shines on. You've had that, right? Some of you like, what's he talking about? No, you know what? You've had that experience. I've had that. And i like, I think I got the answer right. You know, or it's in in algebra and all that and still trying to figure out those brackets and all (laughs) all that that means. In a moment, everything opens and you see in that aha moment. Well, I say all that to say this. The same thing is probably pretty true to our coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have that aha moment. It's not too many people that hear the gospel of Jesus for the first time and uh, come rushing to Christ, confessing their sin, their lostness, and receive Christ the Lord as Savior. That is rare. Now, it happens. I think that's kind of like the parables in in Matthew 13, where you have the Pearl of Great Price, uh, you know uh, where you stumble on the uh, the gospel the treasure in the field or the pearl of great price The uh, you stumble on it. You find the treasure. There are people like that I've had that that's really rare in the exception and God has done I really believe a pre evangelism work in their hearts and lives drawing them to saving faith through the Word of God maybe a, a godly teacher a godly parent a grandmother Maybe a media, maybe a book, maybe a track in in that process, and that's the moment of their new birth. But most people, particularly adults, don't have an aha moment. I see who Jesus is. I clearly see the gospel now like I never saw. They don't see it like in, in a second. There's a process involved. Some it's longer. Think about in your own life. Maybe it was a long time in the drawing, God's drawing you to saving faith. Uh, And then finally it was like, I once was blind, but now I see it's like the shackles fell off. I saw that in my own family with my own father, a good dad, good businessman provider, and and seven children, all that. Uh, But my father never went to church. Didn't want to know anything about it, didn't know anything about it. And you try and talk to him, it was like talking to someone who was deaf and blind. And he was spiritually dead and uh, and could not see it. And my mother, loved the Lord, made sure we were in Sunday school and uh, made Sunday morning important for the gathering together of God's people that her babies were going to be dedicated and they were going to... Learn the scriptures and learn about the glory and the love of God found in Christ. And uh, each one of the children, of her children, made a profession of faith. And all the while, my father uh, was, was lost. You know, we'd come home from church, he'd be he finally got up late, had his Wheaties, and was out uh, working. He, and and so on. And he just a few times ever went to church until God opened his heart the last week he lived, didn't even know he was sick, answered the prayer of my life, and my father is like, you know, talking about Christ. He's, he was born of a virgin. It was like completely different understanding. He had that aha moment, I see who Jesus is. And he began in a very baby way, spiritually speaking, uh, to, to come to understand the glory of the cross and the sacrifice that was made for our sin. Well, that's uh, saving faith. Right? Until God opens our hearts in saving faith, and it's his work, it's not yours. Have you come upon that yet? You know, when we experience it, uh, we go like, well, I trusted the Lord. And then as you begin to read your Bible, you discover, no, wait, oh, whoa, wait a minute, something else is going on here. Uh, God opened my heart. I was Lazarus dead. He raised me. The miracle of the new birth, he produced in my heart life and and gave me repentance and faith. They're the two fruits of regeneration. And God did it. Yes, God did it. He did it all from beginning to end. It's not you and Jesus, me and Jesus. That's why I'm saved. Not really, no. You will throw all our crowns at his feet. It's all of him. And God has a calling and election and it's sure and who he calls he saves and he keeps forever our dear friends and don't we feel badly for them those that we think really know Christ have a fear that somehow I'm going to lose it they have a truncated uh, they don't have the pure the real deal stuff pray for them keep them in the word because they'll begin to discover wait a minute God's calling and election is about on every page of holy writ it's not just stuck back in the maps it's all the way through. It's an amazing thing. Now don't fight with them on it. Just love them and, and keep pointing them to the word. And uh, God may teach them that as well. We, it's until that happens, we seem to stumble about in spiritual darkness. We can't seem to get perspective in life, isn't that right? Until we have an aha moment and come to understand who Jesus is. And then the Spirit of God draws us us to salvation, and suddenly it's like we're, we're in the bathe in the sunlight uh, of the brilliancy of the day as we see God's salvation in the sun. You know, C.S. Lewis writes just about that in his, uh, his uh, autobiography, A Surprised by Joy, and when he talks about uh, his coming to the conviction of who Jesus is and uh he he and as he's coming along in that uh, he didn't understand that Jesus was verily God of verily God that he was the son of God and uh he writes in that and I quote he said i was like more like a man after a long sleep still lying motionless in bed you have those moments right when you're, you know you got to get up. You're just starting to come to, and you go like, "Oh no, another day." <laughs> I love my bed. Where's my pillow? And you know you got to get up, and you're sort of like half there. You know they do say it takes 20 minutes once you're up, uh, before your your brain is functioning. Did you know that? Some of you are like zombies walking. Where's the coffee? You know, and it's sort of like. And, and Lewis is saying it's sort of like that. It's like I'm I'm laying your motion. I'm waking up. And all of a sudden, I become aware that I'm awake. He said, that's what it was when I came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as I came to understand who he is, the Christ, verily God, verily God, and the drawing of the Spirit of God, and he saw him for who he was. And that's the process. And uh, we ought to know that, that that's... Very typical, very typical in most of your life. We pass the microphone and say, well, that, that was sort of me, you know? And, uh, and we ought to be gracious. Don't forget the pit you were dug from when we, we share the gospel with people. It's like, come on, are you stupid? Can't you figure this out? Don't ever do that. You know, it's not a matter simply of rational. They're spiritually dead. There's a deadness there. And God has to work the work of miracle, of regeneration, for them to believe. So just love them, keep, be patient with them, model Christ for them, uh, talk to them about the Scripture, keep pointing them to Jesus, and God, and urge them, pray. I would urge you to pray that God open your heart and shows you the wonder of His Son. And uh, that's a good thing to pray when folks are sort of moving toward that newfound faith in Jesus. Wow. Well, in, in, Ma- in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, our verses today are verses 18 to 22. This is a glorious text as we deal with this most important question in the world. There are two insights gleaned as we observe the master teacher, that's the Lord Jesus, giving his students, that's the 12, the disciples, to be a, a methetes, a disciple, is to be a learner. Uh, he's going to give them a midterm. This is not the final term, this is not the final exam, but the midterm examination in his, uh, his time and teaching them. And I'm reminded we too must answer this question, this all-important question, correctly as uh, we deal with this most important question in life. Let, m- let me just give you a-, a little more by way of internet. Why is this the most important question in all the world? Uh, this, the answer is at least twofold, because Jesus is the most important person in all the universe. And the question zeroes in on him. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Dr. Dr. J and, oh, isn't he great, you know, putting a basketball in, or we're not, we're not talking about great athletes and or political players or great scientists or great teachers and all that. And, and they all have their place. We realize that. We're talking about the greatest person who's ever lived. And that's why the question that we're going to look at today is the greatest in all the world. And the second reason why it's great, not only because he's the greatest one to ever live, but second, the second reason is, is the answer that you and I give determines our eternal destiny. Whoa. Whoa. So heaven and hell are actually hanging in the balances in the answer that we give from the heart on this question. Now, you can, you can have an opinion about... Uh, our president, you can have an opinion about George Bush, you can have an opinion about Bill Clinton, and, and, and people do have opinions on all that, don't we? We feel very free as Americans to do that. And that may mean something, may mean absolutely not. Your opinion of who Jesus is. It's all together in a different league. It determines whether a man or woman will spend forever with the Lord Jesus. That's how important, this is. this is weighty. This is very, very important. Well, two insights. First insight is that Jesus asked his disciples this most important question in life. And like many exam questions, this has two parts. If you ever took a psychology class about drive you crazy with the typical questions that they ask you on that, anyone ever do that? Raise your hand. Let me see if I'm talking to myself. Yeah, it's like A and B, C and D, all the above, none of the above, A, D, and F, I, even, you know, uh, and you're like, What? Here's a two-part question, it's an essay, it's a blue book, uh, that the Lord is going to ask him at this important point, and uh, and so on. And and I'm reminded, for salvation, uh, the answer, we too must know who Jesus is. The first part of the question, and let's read our text, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 18. And now it happened that as he was praying alone, that's the Lord Jesus, he's in prayer, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to the twelve, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. That's our text. And uh, there's the first question. Uh, uh, He asked... Who do the crowd say that I am? Note the setting. Finally they're alone. Remember they wanted to be alone earlier? They're they're in the people business and people can just pull the oxygen right out of you and wear you out. Some of you are in that, some of your teachers and some of your your work, you're dealing with people, you have all these employees, and you go like I am people tired. If I see another people, I'm going to scream, you know, this kind of thing, right? Uh, some of you are in the back room and do hardly ever see people say, what's he talking about? I don't have any idea. And Jesus and his disciples have been immersed with the crowds, and it's just wearing and wearing. And they, and they wanted to, Jesus wanted to get them alone. And finally, they're on their way up, way up north to Caesarea Philippi. That's way up north near Mount Hermon. Which is the source of the Jordan River, and he wanted to spend time just with the 12 as he continues this training, teaching, ministry. And we notice, B, that the Lord has been in prayer. That's an amazing thing. That's a whole sermon in itself, the prayer life of Jesus. Maybe you want to study that. Um, Listen, if you're saved very long, your life ought to be more and more and more like Jesus. What's that mean? That means prayer ought to uh, be a part of your daily life and increasing and increasing, and you 'll never regret it, and the Lord will reveal to you to you at those times. Uh, not uh, not only himself in some wonderful ways and maybe give you guidance and put things in our puny brain insofar as what do I do about this and that and heartaches and direction and, and, and needs that we have, financial needs and burdens and raising children and family and neighbors and the whole gamut of life. Not only that we get our hearts right daily. You know, tune my heart to sing your praise. Lord, examine my heart. Confess your sin. Do that. I do that every single day. I do Lord, I, you know, it's like an old guitar. I get up in the morning, I was it was good last night. I get in the morning and it's like flat E. Oh, what's that? Lord, what's the I loathe that. and I said, so Lord, help me again and, and, and clean out the, the trash, you know, and whatever else is in there so that I'm all, that ought to be a part of your life. And then as you pray for your family, your friends, your church, your pastor, pray for the needs of the ministry, pray for our government leaders, oh, they need it, our military, we're to to be men and women of prayer. Jesus spent time in prayer. If he spent time in prayer, how much should that encourage us as an example? Here's the Son of God, uh, never sinned, Almighty God in his humility, the God-man. Wow. It's been instructed for me for years and years, and I I feel like maybe I'm in fifth grade now. I used to be in third for a long time as a remedial. But I'm in fifth grade in the school of prayer. It ought to increasingly, men, you ought to you ought to cover your family in, in prayer. You ought to do that. Pray. Be a prayer warrior. What are you gonna be with there? Pray. Jesus is praying here. And and Dr. Luke makes no special note of that in his gospel that it seems, it would appear that the Lord Jesus uh, often is found in prayer, often before new phases of his ministry. The Son of God went to his Father. We, I have a couple, a couple of those, right? In 321, here's the Lord at his baptism. Well, that's going to begin his public ministry, right? And uh, the, did you ever notice the Lord is standing in the Jordan River which on the Baptist, and he's praying. He's praying. Isn't that something? Oh, to have heard the Lord's prayer. Look at John 17. You actually see one of the great prayers of the Lord. That's probably the high priestly prayer. And then in 6-12, the Lord's uh, all night in prayer in the mountainside before he selects the 12. What an important decision that is. He's going to pick the 12 who would be the disciple. We still mind from the work of the 11 in 12 with, the, with Saul, with Paul, Uh, from the word of God. We're doing, uh, how important that is. And he's praying. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, maybe, and now he's praying now. Maybe he's praying, Lord, Father, is this the right time to ask this exam question? Or maybe we don't know what he prayed. Maybe he's saying, Lord, I pray that somebody sees me for all I am. We we, we really don't know uh, what he was praying. Well, here's the part one question. Who do people say that I am? Who am I? Recently, the 12 have been sent out by Jesus. Remember uh, chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, That they went out two by two and did that kind of a blitzkrieg ministry. Quick, speed, went throughout Galilee, preaching the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. And, and so they had plenty of time to be with people. And no doubt, they heard a lot of the public opinion. So he's really asking, what's the word on the street? What's the word on the street about me? What are people saying? What are people saying? Listen, let, me, let me get in before I forget. It's a great way to turn conversations to the things of the Lord. You know that? You, I used to watch my father-in-law do this so very well, Faithy's dad, uh, a great, great and godly man now in heaven these 11 years, <clears throat> businessman. I used to watch him. I'd go with him on certain business appointments, how he would turn a conversation about business and all of that to spiritual things. And here I was, a college student, a uh, divinity student, and I used to watch Pop do this in his beautiful, beautiful simplicity and his love. And oftentimes, if it was an appointment I went with, I'd see him end with prayer. Do you mind if we have a word of prayer before I go? And, it, and these people, like I knew they were thinking, I've never met anybody like this and he looked completely harmless, and the Lord worked, and they were like, of all me, And he would pray that God had open their heart. He'd pray for their business, and they were like hugging him before he left. I'm like, that's amazing how we turned the discussion on day-to-day life and all that kind of thing to spiritual things. Now, you need to learn to do that. Don't be afraid to do that. And here's one of the great ways to do that. As you're having conversations, you mentioned it a few weeks ago in the office by the water cooler. Ask people what they think about Jesus. Who do you guys think Jesus is? That, I mean, that's a pretty rare question. I bet a lot of people have never been asked that. And people have all sorts of ideas about that. And that's a good way to allow, to begin to turn it to spiritual things, put the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ with the hope that, that, that as you plant the seed of the wonder of Christ, people will come to saving faith in Jesus. It's a, it's a tremendous example from the Lord. So he's asking, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And as always, multiple answers are given. It, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing, right? Here, Luke is going to give us at least three. Uh, Matthew in his parallel account, it's a lengthier account of this occasion. He also includes Jeremiah. But uh, they say, well, people are saying you're John the Baptist. You can see him writing in their essay book on the example of John the Baptist. Well, why is that? That, Well, a lot of people had not met John, but they saw John. I mean, they had not seen John, but they heard about John. And uh, John uh, was a spiritual, godly man. He preached the message of the kingdom of God, repentance, he had a great following. At this point in Luke's gospel, John has been killed already. Uh, Herod had his head cut off. Some of you know that story better than others. And so they thought, well, perhaps he's uh, risen from the dead. Others said Elijah, that great prophet. And they knew the prophecy of Malachi 4-5, that before Messiah come, there would be one who would come as Elijah and be preparing the way of the Lord and uh, would be preaching. Well, of course, Jesus says, if you will, John the Baptist, is that Elijah who would come? And uh, But they, they were looking. There were godly Jews that were looking and waiting for the promised Messiah, and they thought, well, certainly he must be Elijah. Others said, well, he's one of the prophets uh, that has been risen from uh, the Old Testament, and it, it, they're all the wrong answers. They're all the wrong answers, different from today in some educational uh, settings where everybody gets an A, you know? You know, <laughs> talk about the watering down of our educational system. You know, well, we can't fail anybody. It hurts their feelings. You know, like, you're all right, you know? Trophies for everybody. You know, that's the dumbing down of everything. Uh, n- uh, no, I'm sorry, F. Wrong answer. Wrong <laughs> answer. Uh, not right. It's okay to say that. You know, help people out. No, that, you know, that's thanks for getting us in the water. Not quite there. No, not no. It's all right to do that. It hurt my, look, wrong answers. That's not who he was. But we can say this. The people had a high regard for the Lord Jesus. Maybe many of them had not met him, but they said, wow, he's amazing. And the reports we're hearing, his teaching, nobody ever taught as he did, his miracles. They had a high respect for, for the Lord Jesus. Well, from the start, there have always been wrong opinions about the true identity of Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of these. I mean, there are some even today that say, well, he never really lived. That's fictitious. He's just a legend. Not really. Not 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 Never, ever breathed any air at all it's just total fable. there are those that believe that today, Second, there are those that say no, he lived. he did live, but he's only a man and uh, and that's all he is you know uh Albert Schweitzer, a long, long time ago uh, that medical doctor served medical missions in Africa was uh, embraced a liberal theology in a lot of churches today. I'm sorry to tell you, mainline and the like and the Uh, Though not typically not too many people there, people figure it out. Wait, there's no message here. Why go Sunday morning? Why say, why give? You know, like, it's not rocket science. They have lost the wonder of the glory of Christ. He's just a man. And Albert Schweitzer, in his book entitled The Quest for the Historical Jesus, uh, took the scriptures and tried to, to sort of eliminate all the miraculous and all the wonder and say, Let's, let's look through all the weeds here and find out who he really was. And so ended up with a Bible that wasn't a Bible and lost the Bible as uh, many liberal churches today that uh, he's just a man. I said a few weeks ago uh, in the 60s that Jesus Christ superstar came out and uh, that beautiful music that went with that horrific, horrible uh, teaching that was taught in that uh, the writer of that put in the words of Mary Magdalene, as she sang, he's just a man. He's just a man. Well, there are those that believe that. And He say, well, what are what the opinions of you? Just a man. That would probably be the most common uh, answer given on the street. If you were to walk down Main Street and say, hey, let me ask you, who do you think? You're? Well, he's probably a great man and this and that, but uh, verily God a very God. You mean God made flesh? people would not they would not be there Uh, they're not there until that god opens their heart well then third some would recognize uh, the lord jesus's uniqueness not sure what it is maybe god's bringing them to the aha moment where they see he's the son of god the savior the christ you know the muslims in the quran worship jesus as unique as a prophet they see him as a prophet, not the Son of God. They don't think he died on the cross, that there was a switch made there at the end, and, uh, and that uh, he died just, uh, and was never resurrected, but that he was honored as a prophet. Not so. Jeho- a Fourth, a Jehovah Witness in the Mormonism, uh, that uh, he's uh, he's a god, but he's a lesser god. That's sort of tough to figure that out uh, by definition. When you think of the true definition of what is God, you know, uh, and now you have lesser gods. How does that all work out, you know? And the Jehovah Witness, our dear friends, will say, "Well, you know, he's the son of God, and so a son is always lesser than his father, and so he's less." He's not as on par with his father. It's the old Arian heresy uh, that didn't understand in the ancient world, if you were a son of, you were equal to your father. And it's just the way the Orientals thought about that, that, that the line just continued. And the same thing is true with Mormonism. You know, that their, their doctrine of the Mormon salvation is that you can be a Jesus too and have a world of your own in time. And God is populating all these other places with humans who will be divine uh, like Jesus. Well, that's a strange teaching of uh, the person wonder of Jesus. Oh, well, I say all that to say that even today, as you know, there are a lot of various thoughts and answer the question, who do people say that I am? Well, the second part, and B of this exam question, this midterm exam, Jesus now turns and he asks the students for their opinion. Forget what they say on the street. Who do you say uh, that I am? And it's written in the Greek and emphatic. It's like he's saying, who do you, you say that I am? I mean, he's really driving the point home. And uh, this is all important, isn't it? Really, it does matter, but in a different venue, what uh, what other people think. It really matters what you you and you and you and you and what I think, who Jesus is. You know, you're not saved if your mother was godly and she had the right view of Jesus. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff went on when you were a baby and all the rest there. If you don't, if you've not embraced Jesus Christ for who he is and his gospel, then you're lost. And so he's going, he's turned it now. It's part two of this exam question, and it gives them a chance to fill in their blue book uh, on this all-important matter that they might uh, come to understand who he is. Now, Peter, don't you love Peter? He's without raising his hand. Did you have a classroom where, ha, 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 ha? ha? So the person there like this, some of your teachers going, some of those students drove me crazy. They're out of their hands up all the time. And, this. and then he had always those that just shout out the answer. Now, Jimmy, don't do that again. No, I'm sorry, Jimmy. Uh, Just uh, just the names, you know. Don't do that again. Raise your hand. You know, uh, Peter doesn't even, he just shouts out. He blurts out. You know, he blurts out the right answer. I love this here. And Peter answers, verse 20, uh, Thou art, uh, King Jim is how I learned, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see that in Matthew 16, the parallel account. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one sent of God, the Father. Peter shouts it out. Suddenly, it's an aha moment for Peter. He saw who the living Lord was. You might say that the very Son of God was asking someone to declare His true identity, and that all the universe stopped, the angels, and watched this to see if if His identity as the glorious Son of God was being recognized in His humility there in Galilee on that day, and Peter. Don't you love Peter, right? I love Peter. Peter relate people relate to Peter. He's always goofing up. He's got a motor mouth problem, says things he shouldn't. We'll see in a few weeks on the Mount of Transfer. Peter, not knowing what he said, said. Have you ever had that problem? (laughs) Your mouth is in gear before your brain. Right, like I'm talking away. I'm hoping I'm going to land on something substantive here, but I will just keep talking. Pastors have that. We, we're given to the gift of talking, and we always feel better about getting uh, getting out. right, Jim? You guys know, <laughs> we, We'll get it out here. You know, like, and that's Peter. We love Peter, and we can relate to Peter uh, so very, very often. Lord, I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. Then within the whole that very day, three times. I don't even know the man. Oh man! And the Lord restores him after. Isn't that great? We have what's easier to relate to Peter than Paul? not you? you have to admit that? I'm, I'm absolutely. Holy cow! The Apostle Paul. He walks like ten feet off the sidewalk. You ever see that soap uh, commercial where people walking down the sidewalk like ten feet up there? Like, like. I don't know if they had a good shower or something. I, I forgot the point of the commercial, but it's sort of like Peter's walking down with us, but there's Paul up there. And uh, anyway, he gets a star for this day. I mean, the first part here anyway, because uh, if he had stopped right there, that would have been very good, Peter, man, we're proud of you. And, and so, on. well, look at Matthew's account and A, uh, tells this event uh, that uh, after he confessed Christ's identity, Jesus blesses him. He, blessed are you, Simon Bar His name was Simon. His name was changed to Peter, the rock that Jesus changed. Bar Jonah means son of Jonah. Uh, 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 flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, this confession, but my Father in heaven has revealed it. I mean, it's a revelation of God. You see, it was more than inductive search and study. And people do that with the word, and you do that with the word, maybe prior to, so, but God must do the miraculous, and the Spirit of God reveal to you the truth and the identity through the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, so that you would confess the true identity of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are you, Peter. You got it right. VG, very good. A plus, extra credit. Well done. And that's how every one of us come to know Christ, through the revelation, the Spirit of God in our heart. You see, be the Christ, what do you mean? You are the Christ. The Christ means, now, can I say, that's not his last name? You know, we don't live in such a biblical, uh, literate society anymore. Some people think Jesus Christ, that's his last name. Zabolsky Terry Zabolsky. Jesus Christ. Is that his, no, that's not, that's a title. It's a title. He's the great anointed one. It's the word Messiah, Mashiach in the Hebrew, in the Greek, it's, uh, it's Christos, the anointing. And in the ancient day, they would anoint. The, the prophets and the priests and the kings, they pour oil. It's strange for us Americans where, you know, we live in a democracy, a republican form of government, you know, uh, representatives and, and presidents and representatives and represented all that. And, and kings seem so strange in the Old Testament prophet and the anointing of the head with oil. It simply meant that they were God's special vessel. And all the way through that, as they did that, through the Old Testament, the day, looking for God's final greatest. Uh, anointed one the seed of the woman that 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 uh, was uh, first announced in genesis 315 in the protoevangelium the first announcement of the gospel that there would be a seed there at the uh, the, the judgment of adam and eve when they first sinned and then all the way through and it narrows down the line that there would be one that would become the anointed the anointed one and that's the lord jesus And Peter had seen all that the Lord had done. His authority over the creation, over the demons, over death, over disease. We've looked at a lot of those. And now the Spirit of God gave that aha moment. You're you're the Christ. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Wonderful. Now the disciples know who Jesus is. And now he can begin to instruct them in his work. Now, this it's like this, and how different from us. You know, it's like uh, when you're, let's go back to that math class, you're studying your math, and you finally get this down. I can do long division now, right? And you're like, that's great, isn't that neat? Yeah, let's have a party now. You know, like, students like to have parties, right? Can we, can we bring cupcakes in? Can we have pizza? How about donuts? You know, can, and can we celebrate? I notice here uh, in this, and we talk about two insights gleaned from the master teacher in this midterm exam. There's no time for a party. There's no uh, schools out for summer. Don't you love summer? We all love summer because we still, like, hey, we're out of school today and get excited. I've been to school in years and I still get excited that there's no school, you know, kind of a thing. No break here. It's like the chapter finishes. Remember in algebra? You, okay, you got that down. Next chapter. He goes right to it. Now that they got his identity down, now they knew who he was clearly, now he begins to unfold his mission. You see, he couldn't rightfully unfold the mission until they really knew who he was. You see that? That's exactly what happens, and that's why I say the second insight is that Jesus now opens a brand the next chapter, a brand new chapter of instruction. And he unfolds for, for his students, his mission. He's like a teacher moving on to the next chapter. I remember in math sometimes we said, do we have to remember this stuff now that we've got the exam in this chapter? And we're going on something brand new, you know? <laughs> We're going to do probabilities. Remember that's what we do. We're, we're going to do probabilities now. And, uh, do we have to? Yes, it's building blocks. You know, it's like language study. You know, like, okay, I got this down. Some of you took foreign language, right? You know, and you leave a certain area. And now you move to a, now we're going to go to participles. And Do we have to remember that? Yes, they're building blocks here. Like, I don't know if I can remember that. Keep reviewing, right? Now he's going to build. You know who I am, you got that right. Now I'm gonna tell you why I'm here. And for the very first time, and you always note that when you study the Bible, when a Bible writer begins and does something for the very first time but the direction of the Spirit of God, very first time, Luke is going to tell us that Jesus unfolds his mission. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be I'm going to suffer a great many things. I'm going to be be uh, killed and I'm going to be resurrected. This is the very first time. As soon as they got that done, the identity, next chapter, here it is. In the right confession, Peter represents a turning point in Luke's gospel. I said that in 951, at that point, Luke says, when the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up. Isn't that interesting words there? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Be, now he begins the long trek towards what he knows is going to be his death. Jesus ordered his disciples, and it's rather amazing, because look at verse 21, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Now, I, maybe you've, you, when you first read that, and you've read that a bunch, and you go like, what? I thought we're supposed to take the gospel to the whole world. They get it right on who Jesus is, and uh, the first thing he tells them is, is uh, I want you to shut up about this. This messianic silence or messianic secret sometimes it's called by the writers. Like, how does that figure out? And maybe you come to know Christ and say, well, you know, that's my life first. Don't go and tell anyone this. Some of you don't even know that and you do that. You should <laughs> let your love for Christ radiate to everybody. Well, how do, we, how do we figure this? How do we handle that? You have, to, you have to think through that as to this silence. It seems strange to us. A, for now they were to tell no one. Later in the gospel, Luke is going to tell us, Jesus says, Tell everyone. In Luke 24, 44 to 49, it's Luke's rendition of the Great Commission. So now, don't tell anybody my identity, but in a few pages after the resurrection and there the ascension, go in the whole world and tell everyone that I'm Christ the Lord and the gospel and the glory of that. Well, why? Why would this be? Let me suggest a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus knew that they did not have the gospel yet. I mean, they're still thinking politically Uh, he's going to deliver us from the the horrible Roman yoke and their suffering, persecution. And they rob the people through oppressive taxes. We talk about our taxes and all that. Like, oh, if we pay any more money in taxes, it's nothing like what the Romans would extract. You know, and it was a burden to the people. You know, talk about occupiers. And they thought Messiah was going to be the great political deliverer. He was going to give, going to give Caesar a kick in the pants and throw all the Roman legions out. And, and we are going to be, uh, they were thinking only political terms. And so if they went everywhere telling, we have found Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, and then went on talking about the kingdom and he's going to take up the reign and be the government and and ruler and the king. Remember earlier, they, they... they they got their bellies full and they wanted to press him to be their king they're looking for a great social welfare program hey this guy's good no no free lunch not with him we get it every day he makes the bread and the fishes you know and so on and so on so they they did not have the gospel right yet and he's beginning to now going to explain the gospel to them his death and resurrection and initially, we know in the Matthew account, Matthew 16, that, uh, that initially Peter, who, who did part one very well, A-plus, Peter, you're the Christ. But after the Lord tells him, Luke doesn't include it, but Matthew 16, you can read that later, Peter takes the Lord aside and begins to rebuke him. There's There's Motormouth. Rebuking the Lord Jesus, do you ever do that in prayer and say lord i don 't think you did the right thing there there with that and the I mean that just to make the case, they did not have their arms around the gospel yet, and in fact i don 't think they knew He was God, verily God of verily God, till after his resurrection, so they they had a truncated they had a small Uh, beginning understandings, and so if they went out and heralded, uh, that would not be the right message that you and I now know completely and utterly from the Word of God, this side of the empty tomb, the ascension, and so on. Let me give you a second reason why I think this uh, messianic silence, that the Lord Jesus was operating under, I have foreordained from eternity past a timetable. I mean, he was born on the exact day that God had decreed. In the fullness of time, God sent forth a son made of a woman. It was not an accident. God didn't say, well, I didn't know Jesus was going to be born on that day. He knew it was exactly the right day in the right city, in the right woman, in the right place, and all of that kind of thing. And his whole life was laid out according to it. And I take great comfort in that, and so should you, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered by the Lord. And David says in in Psalm 38, uh, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. It's not a general purpose. God has given you gifts and abilities. He's given us life. He's allowed us to live at this point in time to be a blessing, 20 centuries of church history. And here we are at this point running the race, the baton of the gospel. Need to pass it on if Jesus should tarry. And Jesus' life was exactly the same. Do you know that his death and all that was ordained from eternity past on the day of it? So I don't want to make too much about this because God is in control of all that. But you already had thronging crowds, and that the excitement of the crowd too soon could have humanly, under God, been a rush to uh, would have caused his death even prematurely from uh, the divine established state. So you think about that, how that fits in maybe with uh, Romans, uh, with uh, Daniel chapter nine and the 70 weeks and at the end of the 69 weeks, he's cut off on that exact day, Jesus said, on the day he went into Jerusalem. If you had only known this day uh, and, and so on. And so uh, note on that and just give you something more to think about uh, with that. Insofar so far as trying to understand this secret don't tell anyone at this point well now too for the very first time jesus tells of his coming suffering his rejection his death and his resurrection and notice the word and circle it if you need the son of man must must is the key word there it was a divine necessity It wasn't an accident it wasn't Jesus some political uh, a teacher and he got run over by the crowd and, oh, what a shame. I must, the old translation, I must needs go to Jerusalem. The divine necessity, the plan of the ages, uh, that it pleased God the Father to bruise his son for our sin, for our atonement. Yeah, I must. It was the finally necessary. And can I just jump without saying too much? Jesus is predicting the coming days in his own life. And do, do, are you surprised that it's 100% fulfilled? It's not like 80%? You know, like, well, not bad, three out of four, you know? 50%, that's pretty good. The law of averages, 100%. And when God speaks, it's always that way. God, this is what's going to happen. He outlines it. And uh, you can think about that as well. Well, uh, this mission was completely contrary, as said earlier, to their expectations of the Messiah. They were thinking of a political uh, deliverer. You can sense their great confusion. And even more, Peter, in the Matthew 16 account, he's like in the fog again. What? He's like, you see the utter confusion. It's like in math, you get it down here, you move to a new chapter, and you're like, I'm lost in the fog again. Help, dad, help with math. You know, isn't it fun talking about math? You come to a certain point where dads go like, yeah, I remember that. You go like, and you look at your wife like, yeah, nuts, I can't, maybe we need to get a tutor. <laughs> you know, like, And you went through all that. Anyone have that experience? Anyone, was it just me? You go like, it wasn't two and two and long division got all that done. But you know, as you get up there and you go like, What are all those X's and O's and Y's? And how come they're like fractions and they're brackets and there's, uh, you know, and then you got all these other funny marks and you got square roots and you go, like, Yeah, I remember that 25 years ago. (laughs) And he's in the fog again. And that's right where he is and the disciples as the Lord outlines his mission. Well, Jesus would endure suffering first, wouldn't he? And later he would receive the crown. It was the cross and then the crown always had order, and not as Satan tried to tempt him in Matthew 4. Well, Jesus announces his coming victory. On the third day, he would rise victorious and conquer death. Well, what can we say? Quickly, let's close our lessons for life. Uh, number, number one, so who do you say that Jesus is? You know, that's part two of that exam question. You must confess him as your Lord and Savior. You must confess him as, as, uh, as Christ the Lord. You, you know, you can do that today. I would urge you to do that. Maybe you're still coming along and you've not had that aha moment like Peter. And you can do that. It's all important. There's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is the name of the Lord Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What do you think of Jesus? Well, What do you really think in your heart of hearts? Only you can answer that. You need help in that. We're available. our elders or others that are available to help you in that. And if you're not there yet at that aha moment, then ask the Lord to, to reveal the truth of Christ to you that you might be saved. And he'll save you. He will forever. Number two, remember. Remember to believe in Jesus. People need the gracious work of God to change their hearts. It's just not a matter of them being stupid. Well, what's the matter with you? You know, I thought you were smart. Don't you get it? They're spiritually dead. Reread again, Ephesians chapter 2. They're dead. They're dead. I once was blind, but now I see. Read 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded their minds, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. So treat people tenderly, lovingly, but be Christ to them. Be patient with them. You didn't just, if you know Christ, stumble out of bed and say, yeah, I'm saved, I heard it once, I'm in. Some, it may take a long time, for some of us, even our children, maybe after we're dead and gone. And things connecting, like, oh, I finally see it. What's the matter with me? Oh, slow class. Why was I so slow to come? But we say come, right? And God is calling out of people. That's what he's up to. They need the revelatory work of God, the work of the Spirit of God to regenerate, produce life. You were dead in trespasses, but you've been made alive by the Spirit of God, and you're saying, never forget that. Never, never, never forget that. I, I say that, maybe it's tender to me because a lot of people have said, I don't know why people don't get it. I tell them all the time, and are they stupid? And they're like, no, they're not stupid. Don't say that, you're thinking wrongly. they are spiritually dead. Number three, number three, lesson for our life. It's coming. Two, one, two, three, there it is. Do do like Jesus did, I said this earlier, in attempting to turn a conversation to spiritual things, ask what they think about Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? You know, you're asking for their opinion. You're not saying, well, you're not preaching at them, and you're not down their throat, but you're inviting them to open their heart and tell you where they are in their thoughts of Christ. It's a great way to turn a conversation. Would you try that maybe this week? Would you try that? Maybe someone you're having lunch with or someone at the Y or someone at, at Burger King, right? You know, you're waiting drive through to get your, uh, your Big Mac at McDonald's and they hand it to you and say, hey, I want a question. My pastor asked me to ask. I want to do this is my homework. Who do you think Jesus is? You know, I, that's a good way to do it. I'm giving you that assignment. So I have to ask a question. my pastor asked me to ask and I want to ask you, you know. ask And we'll see what they say on that. You know, people are more open, I've discovered, much more open to talking about it uh, than uh, we are as Christians to be salt and light and willing to move in, into people's hearts and lives talking to them about spirit. Who do you turn, learn to turn that conversation, very important. Number four. Know that Christianity is not reciting a creed. There are a lot of creedal churches, and certainly we have a strong doctrinal statement, and these things are, are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. There's no question. But that's not the sum total of it. Christianity is a relationship with a person. It is with the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive the Lord as your Savior. He becomes a friend that that's closer than a brother. It's a relationship with Him. It's not bending the knees for point standing, the liturgy, the doctrines, and you can memorize that and and spend forever in hell. They're good. I mean, good doctrine is great in this place. It's the foundation. It's the the faith once delivered. It's all important. Don't stop there. It's a relationship with a person. It's knowing Christ. Who do you say that I am? It's that person relationship. Number five at last. Like Jesus asked for us as Christians, It uh, often is the cross and later the crown. First, uh, we live in a world that's no friend of grace, and we suffer. I mean, I know what it is to suffer uh, for the cause of Christ in my family and uh, in community and uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, there's a suffering. We don't reign now. The crown is later But today is a day that it may involve more suffering for some of us than others. The church around the world, there are churches suffering today. There are are more Christians being martyred today for Christ. Just because it hasn't come to visit us in our, our little corner of the world here with physical harm and death doesn't mean it's not going on. It's probably worse today and in the last hundred years than it's ever been. We need to pray for the church around the world, for fellow sisters and brothers in Christ that suffer. But we suffer today. It's the pattern of Jesus, the cross, suffering, and then the crown, and it's always that order. Well, how'd you do on the midterm? You're glad that's done. It's not the final exam yet. You say, "Well, school's out for summer. Hooray! Let's go down to the shore, right?" Some of you might be going this week with a holiday, and coming up next Monday, and you know, all that. Bless the Lord. You know, He's such a he's, He is the excellent teacher. And I love him so. Let's stand and be dismissed with the word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. And thank you, Lord, for the special day. And, and may these words uh, reach deeply into our hearts, save any that are lost, edify your people, use us for our ministry, and as we scatter, make us a blessing to all that we should need. And we love you so. Bring us back together again next Sunday. In Jesus' special name, amen. Good day, everybody. God bless you.